This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. For most people, we see that learning the biblical languages has become something like becoming a priest, something that they would never imagine doing, but they know some people feel called that way. And uh, it's just not for the common man, you know? And so I think the root of that doubt or that question is, are three things. So for hundreds of years, there's been very intimidating methodology involved in learning Hebrew. And number two, there's been insufficient technology to teach the masses Hebrew. And then number three, the expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to break those down one by one, basically since the Middle Ages, most people have taught Hebrew with what's called the grammatical method. Uh, and this this method treats the language more like a code. You've got to learn to crack rather than something you use and enjoy. So with this method, you're really just introduced to a lot of complicated paradigms that you have to learn through rote memorization. That's not fun for most people. Most mm. people look at that and they're intimidated and they feel like, okay, this isn't for me. And it feels like doing math. And it's not the way you learn to speak your mother tongue as a child, of course. You didn't start learning paradigms as a kid of English or whatever other language. And so they say, okay, this is too intimidating. Leave it to professionals. And then number two, by insufficient technology, we we mean that for centuries, there's just been no way to teach millions of people like you can on YouTube today and the internet. So, you know, you could print a book that teaches people, but because of the intimidation factor, most people wouldn't buy your book. And if they mm-hmm. did, they wouldn't end up using it because it's just not as engaging. And so languages are learned best when a teacher shows you how to use the language and you hear it a lot and you see the context it's being used in and get a feel for how it works. And you just can't do that with a textbook. So, um, the other thing that we're really interested in helping are the people outside of literary cultures. Mm-hmm. And this is most of the world. Most of the 70% of the world's cultures are oral cultures. They don't learn with textbooks. That's not the way they're wired. And so that means that the vast majority of Christians in the world are never going to have a real fighting chance to learn Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And we want to change that. So, And then finally, you know, when we talk about expense... That's a huge hurdle for most of the world. Most of the world is not a, a rich American sitting on thousands of dollars that they can just throw at a Hebrew course. And, um, you know, they're not going to even buy a book because, first of all, it's intimidating and boring. And why would they spend $40 on a, on a Hebrew book, even if they can find one in their language? Um, and so courses up till now tend to have been just for people in the the top one percent or less of of the world who have the money to spend on that and and we don't think that's right we don't think that someone shouldn't have the the chance to read the bible more deeply just because they don't have enough money Mm. so uh, all of those three factors we're basically overturning in the way that we're presenting uh hebrew to learn yeah, there's a lot going on there sociologically, um, 
missiologically. Yeah. Um, even the, you know, I was thinking of the first problem you gave is that most people don't want to learn by a grammatical method. And by that, you mean you get a, a list of the grammatical rules and you start working through those in examples. Right. But, but what I've seen happens is the few people, because there, um, there are some people that love that method, that it actually fits perfectly with who they are. So those, those are the ones who excel up through the kind of ancient or classical languages, the reading languages, as it were. Um, and then those are the ones who end up teaching it, and they teach it the way they understand it, uh, which is the way that most of the people in the room do not understand it. And so it's kind of a, a self-reinforcing cycle of, um, it's not, you can't say it's bad pedagogy. It's just highly skewed towards a very small group of people in the room. Right. Right, and then those so, people end up being the professors, like you said. Yeah, those are the ones who are in charge, and they model that same. Yeah, that same model. And then people say, "I could never learn or master this language because the way I saw it mastered isn't the way I think or operate in the world." Uh, yeah, and so I wonder uh, if. Uh, Teaching this has a, I'm avoiding the word democratizing effect, but in some ways it is a democratizing effect. It hands well, the language back the over to the use. people. Okay, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what we want. Um, now, in and, a way, this is the democratization of knowing God, you know, <clears> to <throat> be able to hear and understand the language in which he inspired the scriptures. Uh, that should not just be a luxury for the elite few. So... Yeah, and then uh, we wholeheartedly agree with that. At the center of Hebraic thought, it's one of our uh, it's one of our love languages. Is that everybody everybody can speak Hebrew? Yeah. And the yeah. and the issue you guys have brilliantly overcome, or I think it's brilliant, is uh, is what one of my colleagues calls the squiggly line problem. You know, when you're learning Latin, it's a Roman script. Greek, it's a weird Roman script. Like it's it's just one notch over, but you can figure it out. Um, and then Hebrew, you know, it's, it's first it's squiggly lines and then you're like, it's right to left. People go, brother, right. it's, it's just one too many things. And I'm like, no, that's the first week. And then you're done with it. Like, then it's, you know, it's, it's like driving on the right side of the road in the UK. Just take 10 minutes and then you're over it. Um, right. but you guys kind of remove that problem entirely by just visually and orally, uh, combining these things together and letting people get used to the squiggly lines along the way. But if that's how I understand what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we, we want to encourage people to think outside the box on is not to categorize Hebrew and Greek as languages that aren't somehow actual languages like Spanish or English, because a lot of people have put those in a separate category. And so they can be like, yeah, I want to teach my kids Spanish, but they would never think of teaching their kid Hebrew because you know, even though we live in a world where learning languages is normal and hundreds of millions of, of active users on Duolingo are doing that every day mm -hmm. on other la language learning apps, somehow people have relegated Hebrew to, well, this is actually, this is some kind of special language. It's not like these other languages, so it can't be doable. And, mm -hmm. and we want people to, to change that way of thinking and and just say, you know, learning languages is normal. People do it all the time. Uh, it's just like learning any other skill. You know, playing an instrument is difficult to master. It's a skill, just like a language. Millions of normal people do that all the time, all over the world. Why can't they learn Hebrew too? You know, it's totally possible if we make 
quality teaching available for free and help each other. Yeah. I think uh, that that issue of learning languages, it's, it's going to be a big hurdle for a lot of people because Spanish, I can travel to a lot of countries and speak Spanish. Uh, biblical, I can watch movies in, in Spanish, right? right? Biblical Hebrew, uh, we have this other, you know, it's, it's not quite modern Israeli Hebrew. And so um, it, it, as one person has pointed out, uh, I think any modern Hebrew speaker, even if they never read the Bible in their life, um, they would recognize the first 140 words of Jonah or something like that, uh, just from that have infected their language. Hmm. So there is this way in which you try to cross that bridge a little bit by making it oral, spoken, discussional biblical Hebrew rather than merely reading out from the page. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, and also... Um we think it's sad that that's the case, you know, that there's no other materials out there in biblical Hebrew. Mm. So part of our goal is to inspire others to help us create a body of literature, videos, audio things, um, simple stories. You know, there's so much out there to learn Spanish, French, German, Italian, Chinese, um, so many interactive, interesting materials that mm. teachers can uh, get a hold of, but there's just so little that's on that oral um, interactive uh, didactic scale when it comes to the biblical languages. So graded readers. Uh, graded readers and things like that that help really bring people up um, in their ability more gradually and not all of a sudden, you know, memorize these tons of rules and then right. decipher this uh, complex text. So part of our goal as well as creating um, some of, like you've seen maybe some of the short stories and things that we've got on our channel, part of our goal is also to bring others alongside of us and inspire others. Hey guys, let's, um, let's create a body of literature, a body of easy stories, illustrated stories, uh, interesting videos, uh, whatever, you know, your creative minds come up with so that we have something interactive and interesting to present to students of biblical Hebrew. And most importantly, make it free to remove that friction that we've had for centuries to learn the language. Yeah. Uh, so I hear all the filmmakers who are listening to this should be making uh, biblical films that aren't schlocky uh, in biblical Hebrew. Right? Yes, please. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. yeah. You can still be creative, uh, but just don't make it schlocky, which I think we, we, we may have turned a corner on that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. It's hard to say at this point. Um, so I went to a uh, conservative evangelical seminary where I learned uh, Greek and Hebrew and I'll just put learned like this. Uh, I learned it as best I could and then had to work on it on my own after that. Uh, good good teachers, it's just the style again. And uh, I went and became a pastor and, and I would preach and no lie, I would say things like, well, in order to understand this, you really have to understand this Hebrew word <laughs> and then and then inject whatever word I was hopped up on at that point in the moment, you know, chesed yeah. or something, right? Um, and, uh, and, and now I'm like, well, that'd be great if I heard pastor saying you have to understand this Hebrew concept or whatever, because uh, all I hear anymore is you have to understand this Greek word, right? Uh, so I'm like, hey, if they're saying Hebrew word, then at least we're, uh, at least we're talking about the thing that gets neglected. But there, it's, it's dawned on me over time, I've had some realizations in the last decade, that there is a subtle power move going on there. Um, where, you know, as Protestants, I'm from the Protestant tradition, 
you know, we don't believe in this priesthood, uh, but that the priesthood right. is of all believers. But I think the fact is that for most Christians, the pastor is essentially the priest over the text. Um, sure. He or she is the one that actually knows what's going on behind the curtain of the languages. Um, and I wonder, so we talked about the democratizing effect that you, you guys are stumbling into here or pushing forward on. Um, but I wonder if there's a way in which we're actually liberating our pastors from having to be the sole interpreter of the text um, and creating all kinds of unnecessary friction. I don't know. Maybe it'll cause more trouble if everybody knows, has a basic working knowledge of Hebrew. I mean, have you guys thought through this or run into any, any in, in, um, uh, yeah. implications of this? Yeah, there's there's two sides of that coin. One is that pastors often, that's why they want to be the pastor, because they want to have that kind of authority, um, the, the inside scoop, so to speak. And they enjoy being the, the person people look up to for the, the real truth. Mm. And then there's the other pastors, I would say the, the good pastors, who who want their pe their people, they want to work themselves out of a job, basically. They want their people to all have that same kind of capacity to edify each other and to preach to one another and to speak the truth in love. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Some pastors are going to be upset and they're going to feel insecure and they're going to feel threatened if everybody in their congregation, congregation can hold them accountable to sound interpretation of the original languages. And then on the other hand, other pastors are going to just rejoice and be like, wow, thank you. <laughs> Uh, this is this is wonderful. Now we can all have a more intelligent conversation in our small mm -hmm. groups and our in our gatherings and and really go deep into the scriptures together instead of me just talking over your heads. Mm. Yeah, Bible literacy has become you know almost a point of crisis in the United States, at least or in the Anglo the Anglophone world. Um, we we track it here. We work with the American Bible Society and, and they track it very heavily, um, Bible engagement and literacy. And it seems like it's, well, the, 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 my, my friends at the American Bible Society would tell you that the needle is moving specifically in one direction and quickly. Um, and yeah. I wonder if you've seen any indications about how uh, learning Hebrew has actually caused, maybe not literacy in the traditional sense of knowing all these facts about the Bible, but that kind of deeper, wise, discerning understanding of scripture, if you've seen any uh, indications of that as people come alongside and learn with you? Well, we try to tell people, first of all, that it's not a magic bullet. And there's, you know, learning Hebrew isn't going to guarantee that you have a change of heart. <laughs> and that's what often is at the, at the core of, you know, heresies and bad theology, even though those people may know the biblical languages in and out. And so, you know, we, we try to make that clear from the outset. You know, this is not going to necessarily make every single verse some revelation, you know, some revelation from heaven that, that changes your life, you know, now that you read it in Hebrew. Uh, but at the same time, it it forces us to be more careful readers, and that's what is the most important thing to me, to us. Uh, it forces us to engage the Bible within its own cultural context and to think more about 
it in that way, but but also just to be more careful readers and uh, more balanced in our interpretations. And so, yeah, I think think that and and just not being suscept- as susceptible to erroneous teaching, false teaching mm-hmm. that is all over the place. You know, we we were in Central Africa for a while and and I saw that going, you know, running rampant that people could get away with basically preaching anything, interpreting mm-hmm. anything that they wanted because the people, you know, the congregants were not empowered by any kind of real knowledge of the scriptures, you know, a deep knowledge of the scriptures. And if, especially if anybody came in, a false prophet or whoever, mm-hmm. and said, well, the Hebrew says this, no one would ever be able to challenge him or check what he says. So one of our, our goals is to level the playing field so that if we all are equipped with the sword of the Spirit in this way, learning the biblical languages and these false teachers won't as easily be able to deceive them. And um, it's just one of the most powerful weapons for defending against, you know, these fierce wolves that go around seeking to devour God's flock. And um, and if there's only one person in your church who has that weapon, what if he's not around when the wolves come? And so the more people who are armed, you know, it's, it's going to make a really big difference, I think, in, in combating a lot of that. Yeah, it's um, one of the, 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 I don't know if it's regrettable. It's one of the, it's just one of the hazards and I'm sure you all get this as well. I constantly get emails from former students or former parishioners for, oh, hey, I heard this person teaching this. Is this what this means? And uh, I mean, I, I can yeah. make a profession out of answering those emails at length. <laughs> uh, I, end up, I usually end up find, trying to find good YouTube resources like yours, right? And then say, hey, watch yeah. these, you know, watch this. They'll be okay. So you do have this whole YouTube channel. Um, and Olive with Beth, or sorry, Beth. Uh, is that your actual name? Is it Beth? Yeah, my name is Bethany, so okay. it's shortened it to Beth, so we close, the close break. enough. Uh, and uh, to explain the play on words, I'll live with Beth is I'll live mm-hmm. two of the first letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Where did you guys not? Where did you learn Hebrew? But where did you both learn to speak Hebrew? Well, I studied at the Jerusalem Center for Bible Translators in mm. Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, back in 2017, and so that was my first big exposure to Hebrew. And they teach with kind of a combination. You you have one class that teaches Hebrew grammar and then another class that's all interaction in biblical Hebrew. So that was really formative for me. That was about five months, a five-month semester, in addition to some other courses that we were taking. Is that the one where you, like, have to put on plays in biblical Hebrew and you Mm, eat? We didn't do that. You might be thinking of the Biblical Language Center. I don't know That's what they, they do there. Thought, I haven't yeah. been there. Um, but we did have, you know, some days we had even four hours of Biblical Hebrew where we were doing different activities and interacting and acting things out and chasing each other with swords. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking of. Like yeah. Yeah. Yep. Can you explain the difference between the Sephardic and uh I guess we'd call it the Ashkenaz accent. Like the modern Hebrew, what you'd normally Yeah, the modern Israel. Hebrew. Yeah, how it, how it would sound different. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't actually speak modern Hebrew, so my ability to speak to that is a little bit limited. But um, I think the main differences in certain letters are that in the Sephardic, more traditional liturgical um, pronunciation style that we're going for in our videos, does um, pronounce the pharyngeal consonants, so the hat with that deep guttural yes. sound and the ayin. Yeah. And then pronouncing the aleph as a glottal stop and the, the hey as a, you know, whereas a lot of modern Hebrew or, um, speakers will kind of, they'll say Elohim instead of ha Elohim. There's not a clear H mm -hmm. sound. So we try to preserve some of those consonants. And then I think the other biggest difference would be the, the resh. Mm -hmm. um, in modern Hebrew, it's a r sound like a, like a French or German R. And then uh, we're using a, a r sound, which is more like a Spanish R. Yeah. Um, or maybe an Arabic R. And the vocal so, oh yeah, and then we're also um, trying to pronounce the vocal shawas, whereas oh, yeah. in, in um, modern Hebrew they pretty much ignore those whenever possible. Yeah, I think uh, Sephardic to me has a much more Arabic sound to it. Um, yeah, it has more Levantine sounds in Arabic. common with Arabic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what has been the most surprising feedback on the YouTube channel? I mean, you have tens of thousands of subscribers now, and I, uh, I assume you're, you're getting lots of unsolicited emails at this point. <laughs> a few, yeah. Most of it's been really, really positive, and we've been really encouraged. I think we've just been really encouraged to see how many people out there are hungry to learn Hebrew mm. and are really excited to find a new way to do it or excited to find a way to refresh their old Hebrew that they've forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got a lot of really wonderful feedback people just taking time to write to us to say thank you so much for all the time and work that you're putting into this it's really making a big difference for me or we're teaching our kids that's the thing that makes us the happiest when people say um doing this with my kids or with our homeschool group or something like that um so yeah i don't i think just the sheer amount of positive and grateful feedback has probably been the most surprising thing hmm. and you said most all of it has been positive and grateful well what, there's what always a few people that <laughs> that are going <laughs> to spill the tea let's hear let's hear yeah, what, what. have issue with my pronunciation yeah, choices yeah. or uh, another big thing that's a little bit controversial that we decided to do is to pronounce the divine name instead of saying Adonai. Oh, yeah. and um that was a decision that we we thought about a lot and prayed about before we <laughs> took the dive on the videos but we felt that it was important um, because we're modeling to Bible translators, and so our, our main goal is to enable Bible translators around the world who need to be able to understand clearly the differences between the uh, names of God. And so we didn't want to blur those distinctions between Adonai and the divine name. And for a lot of other reasons, we felt that um, the whole, book about the whole it. yeah, Andrew wrote an entire, essentially like a dissertation about it. Um, so that's not been popular in all quarters, as you might imagine. Um, yeah. Some people are offended by that or feel that it was unnecessary. But very few. Um, but yeah, surprisingly, I honestly thought there were going to be there was going to be a lot more pushback against that than we've actually seen. And um, it's actually been relatively few of the people who have reached out to express their disappointment with that. So that was Which also surprising. I think that's a very standard problem, especially when you're working. Around, I work with a lot of Orthodox Jews. This is always an issue. Right. Some some don't care. They're like, "You're Christian. Who cares what you say?" Uh, and then, 
others are like out of reverence. Could you not? Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, so maybe Andrew, you could tell us, I, I imagine what you might say here, but what, what is the reason for going for it with uh, the name of God? Well, uh, for anyone interested, you go to freehebrew.online and click on pronunciation. And the, the whole book is free. It's in Creative Commons, um, open license for anyone to download and, and check out. So if they want to see the full argument, they're welcome to, to download that PDF for free. Uh Basically, we want to take Exodus 3.15 seriously, God's desire that his name be remembered uh, forever. And um, we also want to take, at the same time, since we are, we are Christians, we want to take the New Testament authors seriously and their use of kurios. So I talk a lot about that, why they may have done that. And uh, so we're trying to hold both of those in tension. But at the same time, uh, and not just take one, cherry pick one argument over another. So basically, we see a lot in the Old Testament of clear teaching that we're supposed to swear by God's name. We're supposed to remember his name. And uh, we're also even, there's examples of using his name in, in greetings, in, in casual mm. greetings like in Ruth. Uh, and so... We, we want to take those seriously. We think that the New Testament authors used kurios to put more of a spotlight on, on uh, the Lord's new name, uh, which he was revealing and bringing into focus, which was Yeshua. And that was, you know, because we do believe that he, like, that Jesus is, is the God of the Old Testament. And so we think that the New Testament authors were trying to tie all of that together by calling him Lord and by calling the God of the Old Testament Lord so that they would be more closely identified as one. And so um, that, that, among other reasons, it, we, it, we don't think that they were saying that just because the Septuagint was the longstanding tradition of doing kurios, we don't think that they were mainly doing that just because of some kind of reverence. Um, and we do show in the, in the uh, section, the first section of the book, that there is no example in the Old Testament of avoiding the use of God's name out of reverence. So uh, we want to take that seriously. And at the same time, we want to make it clear that we are not creating this resource primarily to teach Jews their own language. We think that would be presumptuous. And some people mm -hmm. have misunderstood us and, and said, well, you know, you guys are really making a big mistake because now Jews can't, can't comfortably learn from your videos. And we, are, we know that Jews have plenty of ways of learning Hebrew. Mm -hmm. um, but the rest of the world doesn't. We're trying to help the rest of the world. <laughs> We're not, right. We don't think we, we would be, uh, we think that would be really arrogant for us to presume to teach the Jews their own language. So that's not our target audience, to be honest. We, we want the, the marginalized communities of the world. You know, people in Indonesia, people in India, there's not a single grammar of Hebrew in Hindi that exists for a billion wow. people. Wow. So, you know, we want everyone to have access to this in these marginalized communities of, of tons of Christians who will never have a chance to learn Hebrew otherwise. And so that's our goal. 
it occurs to me that uh, in talking to both of you now, uh, even though I've watched probably a couple hours of your videos, um, I've never actually heard you speak English. Uh, so is this, <laughs> is this part of, and I mean, for, for, at first I thought, well, are they, are they even English speakers? I thought maybe they're just Scandinavian, you know, they have a slightly English accent, but you know how Scandinavians, they speak English better than Americans do. Um, but, uh, is, is that intentional that nobody is ever hearing you? We're only hearing Hebrew uh, all the way through. Is What's the pedagogy there? What's the reason for that? Right. That's very intentional. We don't want to include any language other than Hebrew in the lessons themselves. And the reason for that um, is that that way Spanish speakers can learn Hebrew, French speakers can learn Hebrew, Indonesian speakers can learn Hebrew with us. And uh, mm-hmm. we're not telling people, you know, well, if you know a little bit of English, well, then you'll be able to learn Hebrew with our, our videos. So we're very right. intentionally trying to only explain things in Hebrew, which definitely limits its challenge. It's kind of a yes. puzzle. Uh, how am I going to explain this concept uh, without reference to uh, any other language? Uh, but it's kind of fun and it's been really doable so far, I think. Um so, yeah, we're very intentional. You can find other videos of us speaking English on our channel where we're introducing ourselves or sharing a little bit about our lives and background behind the scenes and stuff like that. But the lessons themselves are pure Hebrew, and that's very intentional. Yeah, I yeah and I, I'd oh, like to, Sorry, to add to that, that, you know, since our target is not the rich West, mm-hmm. we really do want to always think about, okay, the global South or the marginalized, you know, with the marginalized uh, people groups who have very little access to all of these amazing biblical resources that we in America and other places have. And so we want to think of them first. They're the priority first. The U.S. is not our main priority at all. Mm -hmm. So sorry if you're an American listening. (laughs) But we unapologetically believe that The unstated agenda in America is that we create resources in English first because Mm -hmm. that's where all the money is. And then the rest of the world gets the crumbs. And we want to break that mold and that that tendency as much as we can with what we're doing. Yeah. And and the evidence of that is, you know, one of the saddest things I encountered was I was teaching at a seminary in Brazil, in Belo Horizonte, and uh, in in talking to the students, I, I kind of stumbled across this little fact that if you want to come to the seminary, you have to spend a year learning English, which English is right. kind of taught yeah. in their school. I thought, why would you have to learn English to come to a seminary where you're going to be a pastor in Brazil only? Oh, it's so that you can read all the English uh, linguistic tools. So all the, uh, you know, there weren't many of them weren't translated to Portuguese at that time. And so you had to learn English so you could read the theology and the and the linguistic tools so you could um, read the commentaries uh, right. in English. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it really, and, and it really is, you know, it's almost like a big pharma issue. I'm sure, you know, I have lots of friends in the publishing industry and they'd say, well, the only way we can get any of this stuff out is to sell so many copies in the United States first, right? And so, um, yeah, yeah go, ahead, go ahead. If anyone's interested, there's a, an entire section on our website uh, under the, the heading Why, Why Free? And this is not something we have thought about lightly. We have an entire, whole, uh, an entire page dedicated to answering some of those hard questions. You know, a lot of people just haven't thought very deeply or clearly about this issue. And 
they haven't heard really good answers to what you just brought up, for instance. Mm. But there are really good answers, solid answers to that uh, that we give there. And we'd encourage people to check that. I did a podcast of four part, a four part series just on this issue of you know, walking through why are we in this this rut of all rights reserved copyright on everything mm-hmm. within Christendom at this point in history? And how can that change? And how is it realistic that it can change? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop there. As somebody who has about nine books published, uh, I, I, I am also of the uh, uh, of the belief, and I think a lot of people in, in my world are of the belief, like, I don't care if we make money off these things. I just want people to engage, right? I want right, yeah. Engage absolutely. in the resource. Uh, I know not everybody feels that way. Somebody are, some people are trying to get their kids through college. Um, I don't care about my sure. kids. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the YouTube channel, I also do wonder, uh, did you have any learning curves coming? I mean, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, and so we're doing some YouTube stuff, so I'm, I'm kind of all coming at backwards. My kids seem to inherently grasp everything on YouTube and TikTok as, as if it always made sense. But I wonder <laughs> for you guys if there were any things that you had to learn how to do differently or, or do the, things that you do just for YouTube in this format uh, that maybe you wouldn't have done if you were doing a correspondence course by audio cassette or something. Yeah, there's been a, a big learning curve, especially technically, just the details of getting good quality sound and good mm. quality filming and stuff like that. I think that's been, I mean, I'm just real grateful for Andrew cause he's a lot more uh, techie than I am. And if he doesn't know how to do something, he goes and figures out how. <laughs> so, mm. um, so yeah, there's been definitely a big learning curve, especially technically as far as pedagogically, I think we've just been kind of feeling our way a little bit um, with the vision that I outlined already, you know, that we're going to do this monolingually only Hebrew Um yeah, I don't think that's been really a learning curve as far as YouTube goes, but um, I think the biggest one would be all the technical details. Add something. Yeah, also, you know, just the the pedagogical issue of trying to teach via video is is a first in this whole sphere. So you have the examples of police in Israel, uh, BLC and and JCBT. And so they're they're doing something that has certain limitations and certain qualities that define or or guide their pedagogy. And so for instance, you know, you can only have so many physical objects in your room where you're teaching that you can use as props and stuff like that. Um, whereas with video, you can take someone instantly onto a mountain or wherever. Mm. You know, you can show sweeping visuals of different things, real things. You can have a real cow in your classroom, so to speak, or whatever. Mm. So video empowers that in a lot of ways. And at the same time, you know, a lot of those other methods, they're learning imperatives first, right? Because the teacher is going to tell people to stand up and sit down and all of that stuff. And so there's a lot of focus on imperatives before you start learning what is most common in the Bible, which is uh, just the the vav consecutive and perfect or, you know, vayiktol right. uh, forms. And so, you know, we we actually take 
that advantage that we have in teaching with video where we're not doing specific interaction interactions in the classroom to usher people more quickly into the most common verb forms that they're going to find, which are the vaiktol and stuff like that. So, so that's one advantage and one thing that we've been, you know, feeling our way towards because no one has ever done this before. Hmm. And you, you said you were, or Beth said you were kind of feeling your way forward, but I th- I feel like with YouTube and any kind of social media, which I think YouTube is technically a form of social media, um, success is measured in clicks and view times. So I wonder if you are, like, how do you assess what's working when something just might be more likable because the cover image on it was more pleasant or because it was a girl rather than a guy or a kitten rather than a donkey, which I, I feel like kittens are always going to get more clicks than anything else. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not measuring our success. YouTube may measure our success and how much money they make off of us by how many clicks we have, but we're not really measuring our success so much by, you know, because it's a guided course and you have to follow the lessons in order for it to make sense, um, that it's not like each video is competing with the others for clicks. Mm-hmm. So it's more like, you know, the the farther into the lessons you get, well, the fewer clicks there are because the fewer people have made it that far in the course so far. Um, but the early ones have, you know, tens of thousands of clicks. Right. right. So, um, because of our goals being different than your average YouTuber out there, who's monetizing these and trying to maximize their reach. Um, you know, our goals are so different that we're not really too worried about optimization of that sort of thing. Like, is the thumbnail quite right? Um, we're just trying to get it out there so that it's available. And then the people who know about our channel will be able to find it. Yeah. And also... Uh, you know, one of our goals is to reach the non-Western, you know, countries. And so we we keep a monitor on that. Are we reaching more people in Brazil and India right. and other places than than the U.S.? And that's that's one of our goals that we keep an eye on the analytics. The other thing is that we we really know this is working because because of the comments that come in, the emails that people very very excitedly share. How you know. At lesson one, they were totally lost. They had nothing, no desire to even learn Hebrew, maybe. And then now, by lesson thirty or forty, they're they're just absolutely shocked at how much they've progressed and how much they understand, and how effortless it is now to understand when they go back to those earlier lessons. So we've heard plenty of those testimonials that that's encouraging us that this is working. The other thing that we we really need to mention is that we're not doing this alone. We have several consultants who check our videos before we launch them, who are Hebrew experts, not only Hebrew experts in in grammar and syntax and all of that, but also uh, who have experience with oral teaching of Hebrew, Mm. uh, this comprehensible input method. And so we get feedback from them on ideas and this pedagogy and and all of that. So, and some of them are even watching these with their kids and they give us feedback on how their kids re- reacted and mm-hmm. things like that. So that's really, really helpful and key. And so, you know, the analytics, What I assume the U.S. is your highest number, but where else uh, are people watching these videos from? Brazil is second. Brazil India, is uh, second. I think Mexico <laughs> and some other places in Latin America are third, fourth, and, and India's in there on uh, the top five, usually. Italy is one of the top top five, I think. Really? It's really surprising. 
Yeah. Uh, lots in Italy. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what looking back at this, um, you've been going at this for at least it looks like a year or two now on the YouTube channel. About a year and a half, yeah. A year and a half. Okay. So, um, what's the biggest things you've learned about the church, the desire, uh, scripture? I mean, anything here that you've learned from this whole adventure you guys have taken on? Well, I think it's really highlighted how many people out there are already interested in learning Hebrew and have been looking for a way or have tried unsuccessfully. We've got so many comments from people saying, oh, I, I kept trying all these different things and I always, oh, I felt so discouraged. I couldn't really progress. And now I feel like I'm finally making headway with your videos and things like that. And, and, and people from all over the world who have interest in learning Hebrew that we didn't necessarily spark in them. They were out there, you know, wishing they could learn Hebrew and then they stumbled across our channel. And so um, it definitely highlights that there's, there's a lot of hunger for Hebrew out there. Um, and people are, are really looking for ways to learn. So we're, we're excited to be able to fill that, that need. Um, is there anything else about that? The issue of, of cost has also been confirmed in this process yeah. that people have, have very genuinely expressed how much they wanted to learn Hebrew, but they would never have been able to afford some of these online courses. And, uh, and, and just, the the amount of money that is to for instance a brazilian to to sacrifice to be able to learn is just really uh off the charts for for most people mm -hmm. and so a lot, we've been really touched by how many people have had that strong desire and the motivation and and the capacity but they've just been limited by that cost you know that this is only the luxury for the the rich americans so that's that's definitely been confirmed in our experience so far and uh you know it's it's also just you know the number of subscribers how it's grown and the number of of people and voices that have been positive about this it's it's also just confirmed like this is possible it's possible for hebrew to be the new normal in christian discipleship mm, i love that if somebody did want to give you know one of these filthy rich americans um, wanted to <laughs> have to remind my students when we talk about biblical poverty, I'm like, I know you call yourselves broke college students, but you are like, they, yeah. no biblical author would understand poverty in your terms, right? So, um, yeah. But uh, if somebody did want to give, uh, what would be a really easy place to shoot them to uh, in order to get money towards you guys? Well, we have a page on our website that people can. Uh, click on give really easily. And there's a few ways to give online. So our website, freehebrew.online. Okay. That's, oh, freehebrew.online. It's one of those weird Right. One of those newfangled dot online yeah. things. Yeah. And Beth, you are uh, working on a PhD. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, through the University of the Free State in South Africa. And what are you writing on? <laughs> well, that's yet to be decided. I'm uh, oh, okay. not very far along in the process yet. So... Uh, yeah, what, okay, maybe we can ask it differently. Uh, what What are your interests in study? Yeah, some of my interests, I, I think things I'm tossing around as ideas, I'm very interested in um, in the word order and potentially verbless clauses and, you know, the nerdy linguistic stuff. Um, the, the degree would be in Hebrew language and linguistics. Mm. So be digging into the nitty gritty of um, of, you know, why does this word occur? before the other word in this particular type of clause, 
stuff like that. You can tell so, people you have a PhD in fronting. <laughs> Some, exactly like yeah. that. I'm interested in fronting and, and Everybody's focus. Everybody's interested in fronting. And, Everybody uh, should be interested in when, fronting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Andrew Beth, thank you so much for the resources, for your time, uh, clearly how much thought and energy you put into this uh, for the sake of the church and for Christians around the world. And thank you for your wisdom that you shared with us today. Our pleasure. Thank you for Thanks having so us. for having us. It's been a joy. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.